episode 143 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, joined as always by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I am uh, very well. Very well indeed. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right, and I'm, I'm doing actually pretty good because we've got a guest in the house as we this evening as we record. I don't know what time this is when anybody's listening to it, uh, but True. please to all of you listening, and Paul as well who's here, Please uh, join me in giving a very warm welcome to Mr. J.P. Fiella. J.P., welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Thank Hi, you. Baby. We are, uh, we're happy to have you. So uh, our main topic today is we're going to be discussing the idea of Marvel fatigue because that topic has been brought up to a couple of Disney leaders recently, and they've had their chance to weigh in. And based on Marvel Studios' rapidly increasing output – it, I think it's something that's worth talking about is whether or not this is something to actually be concerned about or whether everything would just keep rolling along as it has been for the MCU for the past 11 years. But before we get to that, we do want to talk about some news about another project that we can add to Marvel Studios' upcoming output, and that is Ant-Man 3. Marvel Studios has not made any official announcements regarding this project, but last week, The Hollywood Reporter uh, shared the news that Peyton Reed has signed on to direct a third installment in, this fra- in the Ant-Man franchise. And then separately, uh, Michael Douglas, in an interview with Collider, said that production on this film will start. He, did just, he just said doing another one, which is a reference to Ant-Man 3, I think we can assume. Uh, he said production on that would start in January of 2021. So when we look at... The, the release dates that Marvel Studios has booked but has not yet announced titles for, they have two open dates in 2022. One of those is February 18th. The other one is July 29th. We, of course, know May 6th of 2022. That belongs to Black Panther 2, uh, or at least that's what we get to call it until we get the actual title once Ryan Coogler is ready to share that with all of us. So we have these two dates. The January production date makes it seem like this could be something that comes out in February 18th of 2022, but Marvel may just be getting it done early and then hanging on to it until July. The Ant-Man franchise, historically, it's been July releases for the first two films, so we'll wait and see when exactly this is coming out. Uh, But JP, I'll just throw it to you. What was your initial reaction in finding out that Peyton Reed was going to be back and we are getting another installment of this franchise? Stoked. I mean, I don't think that there's um, a Marvel character or a Marvel movie I'm not excited to see. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, you can announce pretty much anything that they're doing, and at this point, I'm I'm going to be excited about it because Marvel always tends to make good on these things. What did you think, Paul? Well, I'm you know I'm I wasn't surprised because Peyton Reed has done a, a thorough job. I thought with with both Ant-Man films. Uh, I love, love the first Ant-Man and, um, I have only seen Ant-Man and the Wasp once and I have very much little desire to watch it again, to be quite honest. And so, and, 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 and it's not because it's a bad movie. It's just not a very memorable film that I want to rewatch. And, and again, I, I don't. I'm not trying to dog on anyone or anything. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought. And so I. I, I guess I want, what I'm trying to say is, he, Peyton Reed has delivered me one. I think great and very underrated Marvel film. Mm-hmm. He's also given me one Marvel film that I just. I really couldn't care less about, other than and maybe down on my list of, of of Marvel films as far as the order of my favorites. And 
the two are very vastly different. And I just, what I worry about is it, is it being a, a little bit of a mess. Like for me, again, in my opinion, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp was a little bit convoluted and had a little too much going on. And I, I thought it lost a little bit of lightheartedness that it was a little heavy handed because of the emotional impact of finding Janet Van Dyne. And, and I thought the which go, ghost was one of my favorite characters in the, mm. in the movie. Um, I, again, there was a, there was a definitely some heaviness with that. I thought it lost a little bit of the, of its, of its lightheartedness that I liked in the first one, even though the first one had some, you know, had some heavy handedness stuff in, in it a little bit, but it, for the most part, it was just, it was a little more of a fun romp in my opinion. Um, and I kind of want to go back to that. I'm not sure how you can. Um, but I think with this new setup they have, because obviously in Ant-Man and the Wasp, they had to follow up civil war. And he had to be under house arrest, and, and mm-hmm. he had to get a follow up that. So I feel it had a little bit of not I don't want to say baggage, but a little bit of baggage, a, a little bit. No, it did. That's and, fair. Yeah. So with that being said, with Ant Man three, I feel it's a clean slate, and I also feel it's probably going to be setting up something, and that's what I'm. That what it's. What that's what ultimately I want to see, and even in the comics, and the comics can always tip you off of what Marvel might be thinking, even before Kevin Feige is now, you know, pretty yeah. much. The, the lord of, the lord of marvel right now creatively um they've there's a new book uh coming out with ant-man and uh his daughter cassie and they're both basically ant-man characters or ant-woman or whatever wasp i'm not sure what she is or stinger or whatever her name is now in the comics not stature but there there's already a book out there with that so to me they're already i feel they're already tipping their hand of what's to come but I don't know. I, I think that this I have high hopes for, for this film because I think they could probably learn from from the mistakes of Ant-Man and the Wasp and really move into a different direction. And I think if anything, I'm curious, JP, what you think. Would you think that Ant-Man 3 is a setup? Because that's what I think it might be. I think it's a setup for potentially other franchises, which me and Sean have talked about. What, what What's your take on that? So I'll just be honest, like um I didn't know a whole lot about Ant-Man, mm-hmm. um, you know, introduced to the franchise. And was he my favorite character? Definitely not. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a hard time with the big and small. Um, I'm an Iron Man guy. I like ah. a lot of um, earthly science to my superheroes. Okay. Um, but I got I kind of fell for it. Like, I, I kind of loved it. I, I think um, Ant-Man in general is a really good comic relief against some of the more serious characters. Mm-hmm. And um, with the passing of some of my favorite characters, um, I kind of have this legacy feel that I kind of really like um, the ones that are still around. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's yeah, a good point. No, I think, I mean, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I'm, I don't like it as much as the first Ant-Man. Uh, but of course, I think the first Ant-Man is one of the most underrated films in the entire MCU and one of the most rewatchable films in the entire MCU. I love putting on Ant-Man. Ant-Man and the Wasp, I really like that movie a lot. Um, I don't think it's in like the... I, I certainly don't have it in the bottom tier of Marvel movies. It's not in that Iron Man 2 slash Incredible Hulk slash Thor the Dark World space in... in <laughs> Anybody who's listened to this podcast for any length of time knows I still like those movies, even in that bottom tier. But Ant-Man and the Wasp isn't really that far outside of that tier. It isn't really that far above those films if I were to make a list ranking Marvel movies, even though I don't do that. But 
I really like Ant-Man and the Wasp. I'm kind of the, the flip side, Paul. I actually thought that where Ant-Man's strength over Ant-Man and the Wasp was, I, I thought the first Ant-Man film actually had more emotion and more heart to it. And I thought Ant-Man and the Wasp did a lot of the light, had a lot of the lighthearted fun. Like it's just the, everything's going wrong in this, uh, in this one bad day or a couple of bad days that, that uh, Scott Lang is having as he's trying to finish up his house arrest. And that is baggage. I mean, I don't think it really hurt the film because I think they found a creative solution to it. But obviously Peyton Reed had to, I mean, he had to adapt to a, a certain set of parameters that this story had to be told within it. And normally the, I don't think the MCU puts individual films in as much of a box as, as some people might claim. But Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think it's it, there is it's at least a little fair to point out that, well, there was a limited number of options available when you look at Ant-Man not being available in Avengers Infinity War, so there's going to be an excuse for that. Well, he was arrested in, in Civil War. We have to deal with that, so we're going we, we're gonna to start with this house arrest premise because that's what makes sense for the last movie he was in, Civil War, and the next movie that he's going to be in, Avengers Endgame, but more importantly, the next movie he's not going to be in, Avengers Infinity War, which of course is out before Ant-Man and the was was out before Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, Wasp. So, I think Ant-Man and the Wasp was in a difficult spot. But even so, there were some missed opportunities there. I mean, I, I thought that Hope Van Dyne for her, for sharing top billing in the movie didn't get enough of her own arc and her enough of her own development in that movie. And I also felt like uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was was really underutilized in uh, in Ant-Man and the Wasp. So. That's. I hope that Michelle Pfeiffer is back. I guess Michael Douglas is back. So if Michael Douglas is back, I'm guessing Michelle Pfeiffer is also back uh, because they ended up, uh, uh, Hank and Janet ended up together at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp when we saw them again together at Tony's funeral in Avengers Endgame. So I, like, I hope we get more of those characters, no pun intended, and I really expect to see more of Hope Van Dyne and her stepping up and taking on a bigger role in this next Ant-Man film. And so I, what I I like about this news is, I mean, I'm a fan of this franchise because I really love the first film, and I still love the second film, just not quite as much, but either way, these films have been a lot of fun to watch in theaters, but I also like what this means about Marvel Studios, because this is Marvel Studios once again showing that they're not going to big-time their characters or big-time their franchises, because I, the the reason why this news... I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was surprising, but the reason there had been some doubt that uh, as to whether or not there would be another Ant-Man movie, because when the Phase 4 slate, or at least what we know of the Phase 4 slate so far, was unveiled over the course of the summer, and Ant-Man, another Ant-Man movie wasn't part of that, people started wondering, well, is Ant-Man going to be part of it because Marvel's got so many other things going on? Are they going to have room in their slate for another Ant-Man film? And the reason people were doubting that that Marvel might uh, that Marvel would make room for it is because the Ant Man franchise it hasn't really I mean it's been a very solid very profitable franchise I mean the first film made uh, like five hundred nineteen million or somewhere thereabouts uh, based on a off of a hundred thirty million dollar budget so a very profitable movie and then the second film they spent a little more on it I think it was like 160 165 million dollars and it, it made it over it made over 600 million dollars worldwide so still a very profitable movie but when you compare that to other films in the MCU of late where you had Marvel Studios putting out three movies this year all of which cleared a billion dollars three movies last year uh two of which cleared a billion dollars the one that didn't was Ant-Man and the Wasp 
And then you go back to 2017, where all three films topped $800 million. The Ant-Man franchise hasn't been in that space financially. And so there was... I, I think it was fair to at least be a, a little concerned or a little worried that maybe Marvel would say, okay, well, we gave it we gave it a shot, but we need to do something different with these characters. Not abandon them, but do something different with them. And maybe that would mean a Disney Plus series. I talked about the the idea I've, I've had of them of Scott and Hope serving as chaperones for a Young Avengers slash Champions team, whether that was a movie or a Disney Plus series. So there were other ideas for those characters besides just doing uh, doing another movie. And so what I'm happy that this is going to be another film in this franchise. And it doesn't mean that some of those other things we've talked about won't happen in the mm-hmm. future yeah. or won't factor into this story. And I'll get to that, I promise. But the mm-hmm. but I'm I'm happy that Marvel Studios isn't looking at this, even in the wake of all of their tremendous success. I mean, this year, three for three with billion-dollar movies, including the highest-grossing film of all time with Avengers Endgame. And now that we also have this other thing out here in Disney+, Plus, where it seems like the, the, the approach to that could easily be, well, if we think it has billion-dollar potential or at least $800 and $900 million potential, that's a movie if we don't think it has that potential, then it's Disney Plus, and it looks like Marvel Studios isn't really going after that kind of strategy. The strategy there is still room on their slate for very well liked films that prove to be solid, profitable hits, and I think that's really, really valuable because I, I think it becomes a really dangerous thing when you, if Marvel Studios feeds, uh, if there's always going to be a narrative. Uh, outside of what the studio does of you know how success or failure how success or just disappointment is perceived and there's always going to be that but what you don't want to do as the studio is feed into that by acting like a really solid and profitable hit like Ant-Man isn't worthy of a sequel if it's making the if it's making Disney money then and mm. people are liking the movies then it de- it deserves a sequel even if it's not making quite as much money as some other things just because Black Panther and Captain Marvel debut as new franchises over a billion dollars doesn't mean that needs to be the bar that that it doesn't mean the bar has to be set there where every mm-hmm. new franchise that doesn't or pre-established franchise that can't quite that can't measure up to that no pun in, I'm sorry as always no pun intended with Ant-Man stuff unless oh. expl- <laughs> unless express <laughs> otherwise um, you know that if something can't measure up like it that there's not going to be room for it I like that Marvel Studios isn't sending that message by uh, by keeping this going. I think that's really that's a really important takeaway from this. And getting back to the story of this film, what excites me about it is I still think that idea of Scott and Hope chaperoning young heroes, either that could play a major part in the story or the mm-hmm. beginning of that happens in this, whether that's... Mm-hmm. I mean, the most obvious setup is... Cassie was 15 years old in Avengers Endgame. We are now eight months past Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home. We don't exactly know when this Ant-Man film is set, but you know Cassie could be anywhere from still 15 to maybe 17, 18 years old, maybe even a little older than that, depending on when it takes place. So that's right about the time that she could start becoming a superhero. We already know that she wanted to be a superhero when she was 10 in Ant-Man and the Wasp, so it tracks that she would still want to be one now. And so the even if we, even if it's just Cassie right now, that in and of itself sets up uh, perhaps a, a future role for uh, for Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne uh, working with some of the young heroes. And lastly, I would just add that the financial expectations on this one 
I expect big things from the box office for this next Ant-Man film. I, I don't want to get out of control with the expectations, but it really does help uh, that Scott Lang was one of the main players in the biggest mm-hmm. movie of all time. Yep. And mm-hmm. I, I know that Ant-Man and the Wasp didn't get as big of a bump as some people thought it might get from Civil War, but let's keep in mind that Civil War, even though it was a big hit, came in well under Avengers or Avengers Age of Ultron. It wasn't on that level, so the bump wasn't going to be as big. And Ant-Man's role in Civil War was, and it, I mean, it's definitely more than a cameo because he's part of this whole major fight sequence in the middle of the film, but it certainly wasn't as essential to the plot. And the audience didn't really get a chance to emotionally connect with Scott Lang in Civil War the way they did, I mean, in so many different moments in Avengers Endgame, but as effective as any is Scott and Cassie, at, you know, outside of Cassie's house when Scott finds her after being gone for five years, that, or in his mind, it was five hours, but after missing five years of his daughter's life, like, that's an emotional connection, as well as the overall entertainment value of Scott that is going to help the box office for this next Ant-Man film blow up. Uh, as long as the movie is good, and based on what Peyton Reed has done uh, in the past, I'm very, uh, I'm quite confident that he'll deliver another great, uh, another great Ant-Man movie, perhaps the best yet. And I think it'll probably be the biggest hit that they've had from this franchise so far. What do you think, JP? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's one of the things I love about Marvel is the interconnectivity of everything, and it's multi generational. And like I said, I kind of feel like Ant-Man, even if it's from attrition now, is this legacy character. Mm-hmm. Um, like my my nine-year-old daughter, she's entering into Marvel, and there's going to be characters in the future that are her main characters. Mm. Scott is one of mine. He's he's still you know one of those characters. Um, I don't have Cap anymore. I don't have Iron Man anymore. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I've got Scott. He's a solid character, and it's cool to see where he's going to go. Yeah, and that's kind of I'm, I'm kind of I love the idea that you, the generational character because we don't really have that in 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 the Marvel continuity as far as generational characters. We we do a little bit, but that's more of a DC thing. I feel like that, or at least for the legacy heroes, where you know they have different mantles, and even though that's kind of Marvel has kind of adapted to that over I say the last 15 years, DC's been doing that for a long time, and, and that, I think it kind of speaks to what you're saying jp about generational and, and having that you know your daughter kind of takes up the mantle as well you know and marvel's kind of newer to that and i feel that it's what we're, what they can do is really kind of focus on that necessarily or focus on that on ant-man 3 and i think that is definitely what sean was saying and we have talked about before is that ant-man 3 could be that generational passing down to the of the uh of the torch to the younger generation for these heroes and like, and you bring up Ant-Man being that kind of, he's kind of in the middle to be honest, because right. he's not quite cap. He's, he's still doing his thing, but he's not necessarily, maybe his daughter's old enough at this point to make decisions. She's, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old mm-hmm. at, at this point. And then he's it's in the movies about him having to let go and let his daughter make the decisions that, you know, even though he may not agree with that, he has to support. And again, there, there, that's a great story too. And I sure. think, Going in the generational idea, I think how relatable to that that movie can be for so many parents. Again, a good family movie and dynamics to kind of you know play into. Which again, Ant Man has done a great job. Which I would never have thought even Ant Man and, Sc- and, Sc- and Scott Lang would be a great 
family movie from that standpoint. I always thought that the daughter, you know, him, you know, trying to, you know, take care of Cassie kind of aspect was was interesting. But now with with being with Hope and and now that his daughter is older and he missed a certain amount of time, there's a lot of interesting things you can play on that. So I'll, I'll be honest, I'm more excited for this than I was Ant Man and Wasp. I always excited. I was excited for Ant Man and the Wasp, but I feel this feel this movie feels like there's there's kind of the. Uh, Anything could go in this. Whereas with Ant-Man and the Wasp, you knew when they released it in the movie yeah. or they announced it when it was coming out after uh, Infinity War, you knew following up Captain America Civil War, you just you kind of knew what's a little bit to expect. And with yeah, this... Mean, it had a specific place that it, it had to fit within in the timeline. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, we don't have to worry about that. And I think the bit, the best thing is we it, there's a there's a clean palette you can just work with and there anything could go and i th- and like i said i think there's going to be a lot of setup in this for other films and i think i i don't think scott lang is is done after ant-man 3 by any means i think no, paul rudd no. is, is he'll keep going and i and like you said too sean i mean i if, if i'm if I, i'm a betting man and I, I'm not always right you're way better at this prediction stuff than i am as far as financial things and you, whatnot but you do, you do okay I, <laughs> I, I I do okay, but you're way better than me. But I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to take a bold statement. Mm. Because of Endgame, I think Ant-Man 3 is definitely going to – it's going to eclipse Ant-Man and the Wasp without a doubt. Oh, that's, I think it's going to be the highest – Yeah. Right, but I think it's highest grossing Ant-Man film by far. It's yeah. going to be – it's going to it's gonna overtake everything. And yeah. it, it's – I, I think – That's what – I mean, on the low end, I would say, unless it's a bad movie that, you know, everybody – talks about as a bad movie and so people don't go see it as long as it's good i i think it i think it at least clears 700 million but i think it's got realistic shot at 800 million maybe even more and we'll see how much people like scott lang in avengers endgame but the potential is there uh, but creatively i think there's a lot of interesting things and i like the point that you yeah. made paul about uh scott maybe having to i think there's a couple things for scott here you, you talked about the idea of Scott maybe taking a, a step back as as a parent and having to let Cass having to trust Cassie and, and understand that look there's no stopping her from being a superhero so maybe try to help her be as successful as as she can be make sure she knows how to uh, you know maybe make sure she knows how to stay alive and not not die in the process so that's part of it but I think there's also for Scott I mean there's there's a need to kind of step up I mean he hasn't really had to be a leader at any point in uh, in his character arc. I mean, there's been little moments here and there, but for the most part, he's been along for the ride. Whether it's going with Hank's uh, Hank's plan for the first for the heist in the first Ant Man, or Hank and Hope's plan for the the heist in the first Ant Man movie, or again being it's Hank and Hope's uh, plan as, as Scott really just wants to stay home and not mess up his house arrest. You know, he ends up being brought into Hank and Hope's plan. Um, he was the one who kind of had the plan for in Avengers Endgame with the Quantum Realm, but he didn't really have a plan. He just knew he was the one who knew what was possible. Um, but ultimately, of course, they needed somebody like Tony Stark to come in or just Tony Stark because uh, Hulk wasn't much help. Uh, but they needed Tony Stark to figure it out and, and ultimately lead. And of course, Steve Rogers leading. So once. Once Ant-Man or once Scott kind of introduced the the whole thing of what was possible in Avengers Endgame, he wasn't really that much of a leader. So there's an opportunity for him to step up. But going back to the idea of him taking a step back as it relates to Cassie, 
emotionally, that tracks with Hope Van Dyne as well, because if we go back to the first Ant-Man film, Hope was the one who wanted to put on the suit, wanted to do the heist, and her dad wouldn't let her because her dad was afraid that she was going to get hurt. He didn't want to lose her. So as Cassie somehow gets involved in this plot where she wants to step up and be a hero, and Scott... As I mean, it's just parental instinct that you're not going to want your kid to put themselves in dangerous situations. Scott is going to be the one... I, I could absolutely see Scott being the one to kind of uh, try and hold Cassie back a little bit. And then Hope being the one saying, well, I know what it's like to be in her shoes. I know what it's like to be the one who's capable and ready to step up and not being trusted to step up all, and, and you know having having a dad who's trying to look out for me and and protect me, but in the process ultimately isn't trusting me to be as capable as I actually am. And so that is a, that that's a solid emotional place. I think for hope to be in the story. And it's not the only one. There are plenty of options Mm -hmm. here and they have professionals writing this, not us. So, I mean, there's not, there are plenty of other options out there, but I think that would be an interesting angle uh, for hope in this story as well, among other things. Cause I, I, I do think, Hope needs to have more to do in this movie, and, and I do think that she needs to have uh, significant emotional stakes. In this. I know finding her mom was emo- that qualifies as emotional stakes in Ant Man and the Wasp, but I don't know that I didn't really feel it on the level that I should have um, because I, I don't think Hope just got enough time for us to really get into that with her character. And so I hope, uh, no pun intended again, uh, that we get more of that in uh, this third Ant Man film. But speaking of legacy characters uh that is going to factor in very well in our main conversation about marvel fatigue but before i get into that point or one of us gets into that point let's go ahead and and set the table here and why we're talking about this it's not the biggest news week um although we did get a pretty good conversation there out of the ant-man news we got about a half hour out of it which is more than i expected uh but no yeah but this isn't just a fill-in for uh for a slow news week there's other stuff uh i wanted to talk about this topic because i just i've been asked about it on the q a shows that we do on our patreon and it's come up recently in a couple of instances uh, with some Disney leadership, and so I, I felt like it was something worth exploring, and not just outright dismissing. That's not really what we're we're going to do here. But to set it up, let me first share uh, what's been said by some members of uh, Disney's executive team. So the first quote comes from uh, Walt Disney Studios co-chairman Alan Horn. He participated in a roundtable for the Hollywood Reporter. With a number of other film executives, another a number of other studio leaders, studio executives, and he was asked about whether or not he was worried that it wouldn't be cool to watch Marvel movies anymore. That one day the audience would just get tired of it. And here's what he said: "Quote: The answer is no. If the film has a compelling storyline, if it has heart and humor, two things that I insist on." And it's terrifically well executed. I think there is an audience, but who knows? End quote. Then there's another one uh, from Al Horn. Quote, uh, it is long, referring to the streak, but Kevin Feige is working away. Is working away. He will be making three or four a year, and they are very different from one another, so we'll see. So that's the end from uh, Alan Horn. And yeah, we'll probably address that whole three or four movies a year uh, portion of it. Uh, but then Bob Iger, uh, the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, he did an interview recently with the BBC, and he was 
it wasn't so much that he was asked a question. He was just uh, the interviewer positioned it as, you know, Disney being criticized for oversaturating the market on Disney and Star or I'm sorry, on Marvel and Star Wars. Uh, Bob Iger did mention, as he said before, he thinks they did uh, too much Star Wars in, in too small of an amount of time. But regarding Marvel and the idea of Disney having oversaturated the market uh, for that brand, here's what Bob Iger said, quote, Marvel is just doing sensationally well. The last film they released had the highest global box office in the history of the motion picture business, and their pipeline is very, very rich with new stories and new characters and new adventures and new superhero exploits. So not true, end quote. That not true part being that uh, Bob Iger doesn't think it's true. They've oversaturated the market with Marvel. So, JP, on the, on the topic of Marvel fatigue, is that something that you see as a potential issue? Is that something you're at all worried about as a fan? I, I don't think so, because um, there's like a democracy to the Marvel Universe, the way I see it, at least. Um, I don't... Listen, I love everything Marvel. I'm just going to say that. So um, Totally fair. But I, <laughs> I, fair that's enough, fair. Right? I, that's I, fair. I, know how, I know um, how that feels. <laughs> but um, Guardians of the Galaxy, is that something that I would have jumped right into? Um, absolutely not. That's, that's just not me. Um, I was brought into it through different characters. And, um, you know, I felt super relevant um, with the characters that I was really interested in. Mm. And after their passing, um, I realized that it's time for other characters to be relevant. And I think that Marvel tracks in a way with society. It's almost like the Marvel universe is actually how society should be in that every character comes from a different vantage point. There's a new audience for every character with every film, yet it kind of brings us all together. So um, I don't know that you can get tired of that kind of variety. That is very well said, and I think that's where we're going to wrap up this episode (laughs) of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. Um, I'm not going to follow that. Paul, go for it. Oh, thanks, man. I'm I'm punting on that one for now. Yeah, that was – honestly, JP, that was really well said. And I think – yeah, but, you know, one thing I I have to be honest here is I think that, you know, I'm going to take a little different approach because – you can be. You can play devil's advocate, Paul. It's it's yeah, welcome. Someone we, has to. We need it. We need it. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, I we, love being the. the we can't. No, but we can't just be. Look, and, and I'm even going to offer some of that as well. Like it's. This is a Marvel-based podcast. This is what we talk about. We obviously have a deep love for these characters and, and comic books in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in on the small screen on Disney Plus soon enough. So I mean, we have a, a deep love for this stuff. And it's not the kind of thing that we get tired of, but not everybody is like us and not everybody has loved these characters and, and spent so much time with them throughout their their whole lives. Not everybody who loves Marvel movies listens to Marvel podcasts, let alone records Marvel podcasts. So not everybody <laughs> is engaged on the level that we are. So it's fair to say that on a mainstream level, the interest may be a little more fickle than it might seem. So uh, with that said, Paul, you're... if you know, if you're going to take the stance that that fatigue is possible, I, I don't think you're you're not at all being unreasonable there. I think it's com- a completely fair yeah. position. 
Well, it's well, about creative trust, though, isn't it? It's about yeah. trusting the the studio that they're going to keep oh, on sure. track with people's interests. Right. Yeah. I, you and JP, honestly, you, you you summed it up very well because they are in tune if not just churning out the same thing over and over again. Though some would argue, like <clears throat> people out there might say that they make the same kind of formula formulaic films in in some ways, and and I and I would argue that a lot of the mainstream action, anything science fiction is very much that's packaged by main, mainstream companies like studios are going to be structured very much the same. That's just kind of how the way things are. What Marvel has always done well is give us a diversity amount of characters, whether it be diversity of what kinds of characters, you know, culturally, what kinds of characters they have given us a, a vast or they're starting to anyway, maybe not so much at first, but especially now with, you know, obviously with Captain Marvel and Black Panther, but this is the, this is the kinds of heroes we're getting just what their powers are and things like that. Guardians of the galaxy. They, they have, they have managed to keep us interested. The thing, what I worry about is the fact that they keep putting out, you know, films every year and it's not just like one film it's like two three and we're gonna get all these tv series and and as a fan of of marvel i have to say that it's it is hard sometimes i just get sometimes it is as, as, a, as a marvel zombie myself and a, a, someone who loves the comics and watches the films it it can get exhausting at times i'll be honest um especially when you don't connect with all the films right away and you start you start kind of worrying like i don't know if i'm not as excited about this and i went through a period of that myself and sean will tell you and i even talked about it on the show i was very honest and when when i saw doctor strange and i saw gardens of the galaxy volume 2 and i was not exactly super excited because i didn't love age of ultron I love Ant-Man, and thankfully that kind of helped me kind of perk up a little bit. But, I mean, I wasn't super excited about those films. And, again, Doctor Strange and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 were back-to-back. I was a little nervous because I was really looking forward to Doctor Strange. I didn't fall in love with it. I would love, love the first Guardians film. And I saw Guardians Volume 2, and I just was like, eh, not into it. And I was just thinking, this is not a good sign for me. And I, I honestly, I honestly thought that because I thought, is this my Marvel fatigue starting to kick in? And I worried about it. And I, I now help me out here, Sean. I believe Homecoming was next after Guardians Volume Two. Correct? correct. Am I okay? You are correct. So I was a little nervous because I was going into a Spider-Man franchise who I is my favorite character, maybe of all time, of anything. I, it, it's arguably up there for me, but he's obviously a huge part of my life. I love him like crazy. And I have, you know, obviously with Spider-Man films, I almost was Spider-Man out with Amazing Spider-Man 2 and and uh, and everything and I love them in Civil War, but you start to worry that man, uh is Homecoming going to is this is this not bode well for me with Homecoming? And thankfully, again, Spider-Man maybe because it's Spider-Man, I love Spider-Man that helps, but Spider-Man came out and then Thor Ragnarok came out and blew me away, which I wasn't excited for Ragnarok as much until I saw the trailer and I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get into this. And then I fell in love with Ragnarok and then Black Panther came out and the rest is history. And I was back full, you know, full on. So I guess the thing is, I think there's a chance that like with anything, yeah, it, it very possibly could get oversaturated and it could get, you know, too much if the quality isn't there. And I think that, that's the same. That's just, you could say that with anything, but it definitely is there. 
and I've definitely experienced it myself almost to an extent where I'm like, I just don't know. I worry that am I just not feeling these movies anymore? I had to really honestly think about that. And because they're because these movies, I will say this too. The one criticism I will say with putting out so many films a year, it's hard for me to get excited all the time about every single film. Like I wasn't super, super excited about Captain Marvel and I, I enjoyed Captain Marvel a lot, actually. I really a lot more than I was anticipating. I liked it a lot, but I wasn't super jazzed about it. And there's, you know, I wasn't super jazzed about Black Panther going into it either. And it, again, not because of anything, obviously, of what they were about, but it just was. I just for some reason, it just wasn't. Like, eh, it just wasn't exciting me as much as I wanted it to. I, I thought there was something wrong with me. But really, but really, it's just it's it really is when you put out so much content in a year, you do run that risk. Now, again, the reason why and and people know who listen to the show for better, for worse, I will give you my opinion. And that's not always a popular thing with people on the show. And I get that. And and that's fine. And I I I take that with pride, honestly, because I I just I am I am me to through and through. And I and you've heard me criticize these things, and I will not mince words when I'm not happy about something. And but I have I will so when I say this, it is 100% authentic, and you know it's from the heart. The reason why I haven't fully gotten sick of these films is because they are so good, and they are very mm. watchable. And that's the thing is that they haven't let us down, and they haven't let every other people down for, for the most part because. They are such good, solid films. Yes, and I said films, Martin Scorsese. Uh, <laughs> He's not but, listening. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. He He's but busy writing is, an op-ed. Yeah. So, Another one. So, yeah. So, I, and, and I'll, I'll – and I'm sorry. I'm long-winded here, Sean. Uh, no, no, no. But, yeah. But, so no one, I, no I, one I ever just, has to apologize for being long-winded around me. So that's yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, fair. Yeah, but, no, no it, just wrapping up, I, I just – I definitely feel it's there. And I think that if they if they even start kind of going down a little bit with three films a year, you're going to run into that problem. And I think what's interesting, we're going to see the power of Marvel and see what it's made of with phase four. And I think honestly, I think this is going to be the true test of the longevity of Marvel and Kevin Feige's genius. And I do say genius. Kevin Feige is a genius Um, because you're going to have so many TV series. You have so many properties coming out that are brand new characters, like as JP kind of said, like they've they have they have been great of giving us new characters and letting us kind of connect with those new characters. How far can they take it without their main people, the main legends like Iron Man and Captain America, and with all of this and keep the content good? And it remains to be seen that it will. And but I think this is the true litmus test. If if the Marvel is impenetrable. Here it is. And, and I don't know. I honestly can't sit here and say, I'm not going to be sick of all this stuff. There's potential. If it's not very good, I could get sick of it. I mean, I was sick of Marvel television. I thought I could watch anything Marvel all the time. And sure. the television, yeah, television stuff proved that was not the case. So right. it remains to be seen. Sorry, go ahead, John. No, 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 no. I, I think Marvel television is a good example because that yeah. that shows you that just because the Marvel logo is slapped on it doesn't mean that everybody's going to watch, and it doesn't mean that people will keep watching. There are so many people who are not like me. They did not stick it out with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They didn't stick it out with the Netflix series. I mean, you go across the board at the Marvel TV series, and you, you look at it, and they pretty much all lost significant chunks of their viewership over time. And... You know, but it, so that shows you that it's possible. 
it is absolutely 100% possible for Marvel fatigue to set in, but that's a good thing. It's good that that's possible because if you and it's good that you if you as in the people at Marvel Studios who aren't listening to this, but if they are, hi. Um, I'm sure they are. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, uh, but no. Yeah, I mean, it's... if you, but you should feel that way, right? You should feel like you like it is a challenge to keep the audience interested. That it is a challenge to keep the audience engaged because that's how you prevent complacency from setting in. Because the minute you think that the audience can't get tired of what you're doing, that's the same minute that you stop trying to do things, you make new creative decisions, you try, you stop trying to take things on in, in bold new directions, introduce new characters who are different from the ones that have succeeded for you in the past, and that's when you die. That's when you get creatively stale, is when you think, we, just, we got this audience, we got them, they're here for life, we, you know, we can just coast from here. If that's your approach, then yes, fatigue will inevitably set in. So the possibility it exists, but I think that can be a motivating factor. But and, and I think with your experience, Paul, I think that shows that you know. But the the overriding thing, though, is its quality, and then the you know the variation within the creative because. You know, it you weren't ultimately it's shown it was proven that you weren't tired of Marvel movies. You thought maybe you were because there were a couple in a row that you didn't think were of the quality of what you had seen before. But then when you saw something that when you started seeing movies again that were as good as the ones you saw before, or as good of the or maybe even better in some cases, it it got you right back into it. So it's not that you really lost any you didn't love the idea of Marvel movies any less. You just still wanted the the level of quality that you would come to expect. Exactly. And you felt and yeah. you felt like a couple of movies didn't deliver. And I think Doctor Strange, as somebody who likes the film uh, and, and really likes it a lot, even I acknowledge that that movie. I mean, it's it was an interesting. I understand why Marvel Studios made the choice because they were introducing such a brand new concept that. They wanted to provide a familiar. I think that it influenced their decision to provide a, a more familiar, straightforward narrative structure with the the typical three act superhero origin story for Doctor Strange. And I think they, I, I don't know that they would make that same decision if they if they had it to do over again. And and I think that's why I, that's probably the last traditional narrative structure of a three-act superhero origin film that we may ever see from Marvel Studios, or the last one that we will see for a very long time, is because I think they, they realize that, okay, we've, we've used that as many times as we can use that, and it wasn't just Marvel Studios. So many other comic book movies have had that kind of structure as a first film in a, in a brand new franchise. There was, okay, that is done, so we have to move on, and we have to do things very differently. And I think what Marvel Studios has shown... I mean, I was never of the mind that Marvel was making the same movie over and over and over again in Phase One and Phase Two. Uh, I was already, uh, I was already against that argument, or at least I didn't support or agree with that argument. But I think Phase Three just blew that argument completely out of the water with how much variation there was. I mean, I mentioned Doctor Strange as a more traditional three-act superhero origin story, but then you go beyond Doctor Strange. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, whether you like the film or not, that is not a traditional... That, that, the structure of that film doesn't sync up with the structure of other Marvel films. 
Spider-Man Homecoming completely has its own uh, completely has its own vibe. And then you go to Thor Ragnarok, and there, nobody does anything like Taika Waititi. Jojo uh, Rabbit, as a quick aside, amazing by the way. Everybody should go watch that film. And then you have Avengers and uh, Avengers Infinity or Black Panther, completely different. Infinity War, completely different. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Whether you, uh, I know you're not as jazzed about it, Paul, but. That movie doesn't. It's not like that movie reminds you of the the previous five Marvel movies before it. And then you go to Captain Marvel. That one actually has a little bit more of a you know. It, it's not quite as humorous as other Marvel movies. It has more of a, a classic sci-fi Twilight Zone type of tone to it. Um, almost even a bit of Star Trekky tone to it. And then you go to Avengers Endgame, which was its own massive cinematic event. And then we go to Spider-Man: Far From Home, and we're in completely different territory. I mean. Marvel movies have always been, I think, pretty different from one another, but I think the space between these movies and what they are creatively, I think that's grown significantly uh, in Phase 3, and I expect that continue in Phase 4 and beyond, and I think that is what helps fight off fatigue. I think Marvel has already... I mean, I wouldn't agree with the the phrasing of this uh, Phase 4 being the true test of Marvel and their staying power, because I think... there have already been tests, and, and pretty significant tests. Uh, 23 movies in 11 years is a lot. There's no other franchise that's had that kind of output and been able to sustain... Well, they haven't even had that output, period, let alone be able to do it and sustain audience interest, where here we are in this last year of 11 years and 23 movies. This was their biggest year ever. That's incredible. I mean, it would have been... It would have been fine. It would have been normal if the if we had seen some attrition of the audience... But no, we see the audience getting bigger than ever this year. So I think Marvel has already passed some pretty significant tests uh, to show their staying power. But this is another significant test with Phase 4 because of the output. And the one that sticks out like a sore thumb, 2020, not really that big a deal because you have... It, you have three new MCU projects that are going to be out in 2020. And that's we're used to that now because we've seen... Uh, three movies a year since 2017. Next year, we have two movies and a Disney Plus series with The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. Now, because The Falcon Winter Soldier is a series and not a movie, that will be the most... 2020 will be a new record for the most story hours of uh, the MCU in in a calendar year. But still, it's just three projects. 2020, however... You've got three live-action Disney Plus series and the animated what and the animated what if plus four feature films, all from Marvel Studios. And so, if there's if there's a year where oversaturation uh, feels like a more significant threat than it's ever been, uh, it's got to be 2021. But I still feel like Marvel Studios can do it, and and I still feel like because they're doing things very differently, uh, and every as long as each project is unique then it's going to be okay as long as all four of those 2021 movies are very different from one another. And I'm confident that they will be. I mean, Thor Love and Thunder, it's going to go back to Taika Waititi and what he does, although he's going to do things, you know, just even bigger and crazier than he did in Thor Ragnarok. We know John Watts is doing something, will do something very different with the third uh, Spider-Man film. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I think, is just going to go all out in Doctor uh, for Doctor Strange in a way that perhaps the first film, uh, the the first film did not. So we have all of these different, and uh, of course, uh, starting off that year, you have Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and that has the potential to be so different from anything we've ever seen from Marvel. And then when we go to the Disney Plus side of things, I think I don't think What If puts uh, puts a strain on things in terms of oversaturation. 
That's just, it's not canon with the MCU. It just has fun with the mythology of the MCU as quick animated shows. So that's, I think that one's just fun. I don't, I don't really think that puts any stress on it. So you go to the live action series, you know, Loki, it's like quantum leap with Tom Hiddleston as Loki. I mean, you can have, although it's morally more space stone hopping than time hopping, but that can be a lot of fun. WandaVision feels so different because it's like classic sitcom mixed in with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've never seen that before. And then Hawkeye, we don't know that much about the series yet, but presumably that can be its own thing. So as long as there continues to be variety in all of these things and they get to be unique in their own way, that's what helps prevent the, that's what helps, uh, prevent the fatigue from setting in. I mean, the more you make, you could say, well, the more, the more stories you've told in a given universe or a given franchise, then the harder it is to fight off the fatigue. And, and that only gets more difficult as you go along. But... Marvel's already been able to handle the increased difficulty over time for the past 11 years. And I think that, you know, when you say, well, what are they going to do without Iron Man and without Tony Stark, without Steve Rogers and and, uh, Natasha Romanoff, if we don't see much of her after her, uh, you know, prequel or between Civil War and Infinity War movie next year. I actually think that's the strength. I think that's part. I don't. I agree. I don't think that's how you. I don't think that's a reason to worry about fatigue. I think that's part of the strategy of combating fatigue, and going back into that idea of legacy heroes, and you you pass the torch, you pass the baton to other characters who take the lead, and that's huge because what people I think are more likely to get tired of is Iron Man four, five, and six starring Tony Stark than. Iron Man 1 through 3 in some Avengers movies, and then it's Captain Marvel and Black Panther 1 through 3, and then uh, you know, and then we move on to the next group of characters, whether that's Blade or Shang-Chi or whoever. As long as the, the mantle keeps being passed and new characters start to take the lead as other characters fade away, that's how people aren't getting tired of it because they're constantly getting introduced to new characters. I mean, you mentioned that Legacy's kind of been a big thing for DC and not as much for Marvel. And I think historic. I mean, recently, I mean, I'd say they're about even, but maybe historically, that's more of a DC thing. But cinema in in movies, that's a Marvel thing. I mean, we haven't even DC. We haven't seen DC continue on long enough with any franchise to see legacy really coming into it, unless you count John Blake at the end of The Dark Knight Rises, which I know you and John Beerly don't, Paul. So, like, that's that's true. Yeah. So. <laughs> So, you know, <laughs> Legacy hasn't really been it hasn't really been introduced to audiences quite in this way. I mean, the closest thing would be may, arguably Star Wars with the sequel trilogy, but you know, I don't think it's it's still not quite what Marvel's been doing. And so by continuing to introduce us with new characters cuz that's I mean, I think that's the biggest source of variety is you have different people that audiences get a chance to connect to. And and I think that's something that you know, as you were mentioning JP, it's like so Ant-Man is is kind of your generation of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so that's kind of what what's connecting you to when you first saw these stories and and even though Tony and Steve aren't around, Scott is what connects you back to them and keeps you grounded in their stories and, and always remembering that part of it. But then when you have your daughter who's, you know, she's going to be growing up more with Captain Marvel and and Black Panther and Miss Marvel and whoever else as the heroes that she sees on the screen, whether it's big or small, and that's going to be, you know, her group of characters. But you still like these characters. I mean, you like the new ones, even if, and you still like the ones that you you started with. But then you kind of have this connection, and you know, you connect to the newer characters 
partially through your own experience, but also partially through hers. And then she can connect back with your generation of heroes because you introduce her to those. And then, and that process just continues. That cycle just continues from one generation to the next as, you know, one gener, as each generation kind of adopts their Avengers roster uh, of a given era of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But because there's these handoffs, it's kind of easy. Uh, and we see these handoffs as they happen. I, I think that prevents some of the other issues you get with Legacy where you have some, you know, the whole not my MCU. I don't really think that's going to be something that, co- that becomes a factor uh, all that, or at least a significant factor going forward. So I think continuing to, by relying, by, by never relying on uh, sticking with the same characters over and over and over again forever until the audience says they're sick of it, to move on from characters, to let them have their time in the spotlight, and then they gracefully step aside or pass on so that others can pick, uh, can pick up the mantle for a while, and then somebody else does it, and then somebody else does it. That, I, I think, as much as anything... Uh, will help Marvel and, and deal with the fatigue issue because, a- again, it's 100% possible and you need to acknowledge and believe that it's possible in order to make sure you avoid it. But one last thing that I, I would say about this is that I think the first person who would be most likely to get tired of Marvel if they were doing the same thing as Kevin Feige. This guy lives with these characters and stories all day, every day granted now he gets to take breaks and and work on a little bit of star wars but and he's probably going to get to do more of that as as the future go as time goes by but he spends so much time with this stuff if they were making the same thing over and over again he wouldn't be signing contract extensions he wouldn't be taking on a bigger role at marvel he'd do something else with his career because the guy based on the infinity saga he can go anywhere he wants and do anything he wants in entertainment and he's staying here and the reason why I, I think is because he has he continues to have more opportunities to tell new stories. He's only had full control of Marvel Studios for four years. Four years. I know that he's been in charge of Marvel Studios for longer than that, but we know that he was still reporting to the rest of Marvel Entertainment and Ike Perlmutter and everything up until 2015 uh, when the split happened. And now he's only just uh, inheriting the 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 small screen stuff and everything else like all of that is so much more recent but Kevin Feige is not going to allow himself to get bored and I think all the people who worked with him Victoria Alonso, Ludi Esposito, the Marvel Studios Parliament, all of those executive producers they're not going to allow themselves to get bored either by telling the same stories over and over again working with the same characters over and over again they're going to want variety for themselves and in the stories they tell, and that in turn will be seen and, and enjoyed by audiences. So is fatigue possible? Absolutely. Do I think it's actually going to set in? While acknowledging that it could, I think Marvel Studios is going to answer this challenge in the future, in, in the near and distant future, just as successfully as they have for the past 11 years. Yeah, I mean, um, rather than fatigue, I mean, I think as a Marvel fan, it's emotionally taxing. I, I do, um, because a lot of the choices they make can be uncomfortable. Like you mentioned, um, you, you know, like I said before, like, um, I'm an Iron Man guy. I'm a cap guy. Um, those have a certain feel to them. And when these other films come along, I don't always agree with every creative choice that they make, but the people leading the studios are kind of making the same decisions with the comics or letting other people take creative runs at things from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I said earlier at the top of the, the cast that I love everything Marvel and I do, 
do I love everything Marvel the first time I see the film? Do I agree with their creative choices all the time? No, I don't. But um, as irrelevant as I felt when my legacy characters passed on and it made me uncomfortable, that's what makes me love Marvel, is that these aren't all my films, but at the same time they are, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. Like, not everything is... is clearly and obviously meant for you but wait what no well, no. <laughs> no but like but then it turns out that it kind of is not that it was specifically right. made for you but yet it right. still it still tracks for you it's still you're, you're still able to connect with it like there because i mean if you're gonna some of these characters i mean they're gonna come from well, these characters are coming from different walks of life with different perspectives, as you mentioned. And so there might be some aspects of certain characters that make them more relatable to someone else than they are to me. And that's totally okay, because then that gives me another character that I can, uh, that even if I don't relate to in, in very specific ways that I can maybe relate to, because the emotionally the character is still grounded. And that's something and, and that's a way that I can connect with the character and through their connections to other characters like it all feeds into it. I mean, that's part of the beauty of the MCU with that interconnectivity, but also not just the interconnectivity, the individual stories are still satisfying on their own, um, regardless of what how some may feel. That's how I feel is that the individual <laughs> chapters tend to be uh, tend to be satisfying all by themselves and then they just become that much more satisfying uh, through the interconnectivity, but it's it's going to be interesting. This is, you know, uh, it is the the biggest. I mean, uh, Marvel's answered some pretty massive challenges already. Um, but this will be, you know, another round of, of challenges for Marvel Studios and, and their staying power. But I mean, I just I think they're built to last because, you know, that idea of legacy and, and transitioning from one group of characters to another, um, and these soft handoffs that that, that kind of help. I mean, Marvel's got just such a deep roster of characters that they can pull from. I mean, it, it's not like it's not like they're almost done. It, it's not like they they've they've tapped just about every character that they theoretically could in order to make movies and Disney Plus series. They're not even close. I mean, when you have, I mean, there was a time when you might have been more concerned about that, but I think that time is gone because we live in a world. We live in a society. We live in a world where the Guardians of the Galaxy are a ride at Disney California, at Disney California Adventure, and they will be at Epcot in Walt Disney World. And so, when you when you consider that that Marvel has already taken a super obscure property and turned it in, you know turned it into a team of global icons of, of household names for superheroes, as they've done with Guardians of the Galaxy. That's the kind of thing, and they've done this. I mean, Guardians is is one example, but I mean, pretty much all the heroes that we have in the MCU, even with Iron Man, Cap, and Thor, while those were better known uh, clearly than the Guardians of the Galaxy, they still weren't known on the level of Batman or Superman or Spider Man. I mean, Marvel from the very beginning has been elevating characters and getting audiences to connect with so many characters that they'd never heard of. So it doesn't really matter that something is obscure. That's why, you know, the success of Guardians shows that it doesn't really matter that nobody's ever heard of Eternals. If the movie is good, uh, if the characters are developed well enough to where the audience can empathize with them, can connect with them, and Marvel continues that process so the audience can connect, even if they do it in different ways, but ultimately the connection is still established 
with other characters, no matter how obscure they may start. Uh, they don't stay that way when Marvel brings them into the to the MCU and they actually start telling uh, great stories with these characters. And that is such a huge part of why Marvel Studios is, is built to last. 100%. Yeah, I, this is something that Marvel, I mean, Marvel characters have survived for so long through so much. And even if the films get less popular, it's something that I think that it, it, it will, they will survive. They all, they have forever. They've, they've been through hell and back, honestly, in, in popularity and characters like Spider-Man will live on. And, 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 and now Cap and Iron Man are up, are in part of that conversation of some of the most popular superheroes of all time. And, and they were popular at their in different moments in, in the, their Marvel niche market, you know, for a long time too. And 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 again, the '90s happened, and they were very uncool in the '90s, and now they're the most popular thing ever. So, Marvel will survive because these characters are timeless. And whether or not they're making billions of dollars, yeah, that's you can't make that forever, but. Will you be able to enjoy a, a Captain America film, you know, in 30 years from now? Yeah, probably. And it might do okay because these characters endure. And yeah, you know, you may not be able to put out like three, four films a year of, of everything and, and or whatever. Maybe it'll happen every two years. You might put out a Marvel film and, and put out some kind of Marvel property of, of some sort. And just really, it just really depends. The one thing I'll say that the genius of Kevin Feige, and I, again, I'll say genius, is that it, this all started out with basically two films a year. And so the audiences are used to many, at mm -hmm. least for Marvel films, we're used to, we're, we've been in, inundated with Marvel films a couple times a year for the most part for a long time. Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Thor, and Captain America, Iron Man 2 and... Lord knows what happened. I probably nothing after that. But I mean, my point is this: is that for the most part, they've come out in chunks, and that is a and so and, and now the fact that we're doing three a year, I mean, if they, if they have to heaven forbid scale back to one a year or even two a year, that's not necessarily a bad thing either. So, and, and I'll be honest, I will say I do miss, I do like it when things are events like an in infinity war, like Avengers. And I think it's cool that Avengers is going to get kind of the, the treatment of what's well, this wait a while. And I like that. And I think that's where maybe people are misunderstanding or not misunderstanding, but are underestimating Marvel is that Kevin's going to put away the Avengers name for a while, potentially. And, and when it comes back, it's going to mean something. And the buildup of what, how, what he does with that will, it will, it will, um, trigger is not the right word, but it, it will electrify people and, and, and get their attention. And I think that, again, it's a buildup. And I think that Marvel has, has, has created that and has created the culture of, we put out many things a year, not just now, but like back in the day. So mm -hmm. it's a, it, it remains to be seen, but the fact they've lasted this long. And they're and people are they're making they it won't stop making money. Eventually, it's gonna stop. But I mean, what in another ten years? I mean, I mean at that point, that's the end of like the well. That, the they, end of, they, yeah, they may last as long as movie theaters last. I mean, that's you know depending <laughs> well, on how much longer that goes on. Um, 
But, you know, I I think with with Marvel, I mean, yeah, is it, will they always make this kind of money forever and for always? I mean, probably not. Forever is a long time, or maybe it's not that long at all. But who knows? But for the first, in the foreseeable future, yeah, I I think Marvel is going to keep on rocking. And, And they don't have to be number one all the time in order to be considered successful. Like, as long as each new movie... Uh, continues or most of the new movies they make continue to be well liked and continue to be profitable even if they're not even if they're not successful on as extreme of a level as some of the other films that's still okay because there are i mean there are some ebbs and flows that's only natural i mean avengers age of ultron did not make as much money as the first avengers movie but then infinity war comes back and that makes two billion dollars and then Endgame comes out, becomes the highest-grossing film of all time. I mean, it destroys Infinity War's box office. So, I mean, there's all there's going to be a, a little bit of ebb and flow. It's not always going to be on the way up, but I, I think over time you will see Marvel movies just continuing to remain uh, popular and and remain successful. And I think going back to that example of Marvel Television, I mean, what they're not going to do is you know because I don't expect uh, you know with even with Marvel increasing their small doing the small screen output with Disney Plus. I don't think they're going to go crazy with it. I don't think Kevin Feige is going to start having a bunch of shows that are canon with the MCU, uh, replacing what Marvel Television has been doing on ABC and Freeform and everywhere else. I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they're going to be trying to make 13-episode series, 22-episode seasons of a show that just goes on and on and on for several seasons, uh, regardless of, of what the quality may be. Although I like Agents of Shield, like OK is not going to be good enough for Mar- uh, for Marvel Studios. Pretty good is not going to be OK is not going to be good enough for Marvel Studios. We know how much they focus on quality, how they want everything to be uh, the best version that it can be, and and they go to great effort to make that happen. And when you have that much thought and care and effort that goes into each individual project, that's how you arrive at the remarkable and and I think unparalleled consistency that Marvel Studios has been able to deliver not just at the box office but at with the quality uh, of what they come of what audiences have come to expect and that's another part of their staying power is as long as the quality continues to be there audiences are going to be excited to see it Marvel Studios in a time where it's it's never ever ever been more difficult to get people into theaters Marvel movies are getting people into theaters, and that says a lot about how much people really love and care about these movies and these stories and, and the characters within them. Uh, so I think that gives uh, I, I think that's a great sign for Marvel Studios in their future success. But it's not the kind of thing that's going to make them rest on their laurels. They're going to keep pushing. They're going to keep striving to make each new series and each new film. Uh, the best that it can possibly be. And as long as they continue to do that and push themselves in bold new creative directions so that they stay engaged and they stay excited about it, uh, let alone what the audience is going to think, eventually, as Marvel Studios has shown, what they think is good, what they think is new and and different from what they've done before, tends to uh, track with what the audience ultimately thinks is new and good and fun and different than what Marvel Studios has done before. Uh, What were you going to say, JP? Yeah, I I mean, I just think... um... It's about the source material and the creative direction and the source material is brilliant and the creative direction about letting different people interpret that source material in different ways. That's what's going to stay off fatigue. And you're right. It does ebb and flow, but I kind of feel like we're at the height of a Marvel renaissance and I don't see it going away. 
I mean, I think we're at, I think we've seen peaks and then like, this is now in, like the, the highest peak that we've ever seen from Marvel. And I think they'll probably stay here for a little bit and then maybe they'll drop back down a bit, but they won't, as we saw with phase two, they won't drop back down very far and then they'll shoot right back up, perhaps bigger than they've ever done before. And we've gone through this whole conversation without even acknowledging that, you know, Marvel's got this deep bench of characters that they can pull from. Oh, and they just got a whole lot more from the Fox deal. Uh, to your right. point, uh, Paul, when in our generation, the Avengers were not the coolest team of Marvel heroes. Kevin Feige just got the coolest team of or teams of Marvel heroes mm-hmm. from yep. our generation of comic book readers from you know the 80s through the 90s and beyond. Uh, that's what they just picked up. And that's who that that's part of the group of characters, along with the stuff they've already had. That stuff doesn't just go away. Uh, but now they have so many more characters to tell stories with. And that's also part of the reason why I have some people are asked, you know, how many how are they going to do the X-Men? Well, I think they might do it a little more slowly than and methodically than some people think, because they're in this for the long haul and they don't need to introduce everybody at once. They can slowly integrate the mutants into the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, in a way that allows them to do with the X-Men what they appear to be doing with the Avengers uh, as having characters who are part of the team and they fall off as other characters come in and on and on and on uh, to keep giving audiences new characters and new stories to get excited about so that they don't feel so fatigued. I think that's where we will go ahead and wrap up this episode. Uh, But before we do, I want to give a shout out and a big thank you to Arturo Barones Katie Kuhn and Natalie Mockery or Mokri. They are the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News, which means they have thank access. You. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, which means they have access to content that is not available anywhere else. So we do Patreon credit scenes, uh, which we're going to be doing for this episode. Uh, we've spent our time talking about Ant-Man. We've talked about Marvel fatigue. But I think we're going to celebrate a little bit in this week's Patreon credit scene where we're going to talk about the start of production on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Maybe talk a little bit about what our expectations for that series might be. Uh, so we do those Patreon credit scenes on top of our main episodes. Uh, we do a weekly Q&A show, and you can listen to that and the Patreon credit scenes uh, starting at just a dollar a month. But if you want to participate in the Q&A show and submit questions, as well as join our exclusive Marvel Studios News, uh, our Patreon-exclusive Marvel Studios News Discord community, which is really awesome with a lot of great conversations happening every single day, uh, that's just uh, $3 a month. And we have other tiers that have other features and exclusives like the Daily Bugle. That's a Monday through Friday news show that I host. Uh, and there's also uh, an open Q&A every month. There's the Marvel Limited Book Club where we talk about comics. There's a commentary track that we do every quarter uh, for a Marvel Studios or Marvel movie. So far, it's been Marvel Studios movies with uh, Homecoming since we just started that, and it's a new feature. But we're going to keep that going. So for all of, And plus, when you get these exclusives... You can when you subscribe to our Patreon, you do get your own private RSS link that you can use, and you can put it into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts and subscribe via RSS, so you get all of your Marvel Studios news podcasts, the main show like this one, as well as the Patreon exclusives. It all goes into one feed, so you don't have to track things down in multiple spots. And for more information on that and all of the tiers that we have available, please visit Patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. And then you know all the places you can keep up with us, marvelstudiosnews.com, Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News, and on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. JP, where can everybody find you? Um, if you want Jay them to. If you, don't, if you don't, you can tell them to go to hell. Like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, at that's Jay true. Paella. Good luck spelling that. <laughs> oh, my Lord. 
Yeah. Woo. Well, um, then if, uh, if nobody's going to follow you, I'll just say JP, thank you very much, uh, for your support yes, on the Patreon, but also you did a great job on this episode. And even though we spent like an extra 40 minutes, uh, building on your point at the start of our Marvel fatigue conversation, uh, we weren't able to better that point. You did. Uh, That's I think, true. I think you had the point of the day to uh, kick off that Marvel fatigue conversation. And I think many of our listeners would agree, and, and those who don't are, are just wrong, so that's fine. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Paul. guys. I appreciate what you do, and I'll be listening. Absolutely. Oh, Thank you, sir. Thank you. Paul, where can everybody find you? Find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. You can also find me on my new podcast, uh, the Binge Comic uh, – or excuse me, the Comic Binge. Sorry, I'm thinking of the uh, Twitter handle. It's the Comic Binge podcast that's on Twitter at Binge Comic. So follow us on there with our good friend, Chris Clow. Thank you, sir. And in the off chance that you listen all the way to the end of these podcasts, because I think a lot of you check out when you know we're, start, we're starting to do the wrap-up, but for the two of you still listening, uh, make sure, if you haven't already, to check out Fandalorians. It's the brand new, or not brand new, but it's the Star Wars podcast that I host with our friend John Beerley. But what we, what we do have is a brand new website, StarWarsFandalorians.com. And that podcast is really going to be ramping up because we have Disney Plus launching next week, which means The Mandalorian is premiering. And so every week as a new episode drops, we will be doing a new episode review on the podcast. So make sure you're checking out Fandalorians. It's at Fandalorians on Twitter. Just search Fandalorians wherever you get your podcasts and you should be able to find it. If you want to follow me, you can do that on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. So for Paul and JP, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Yeah. <laughs>